First things first, this is about truth telling. I have no agenda. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what No Mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah! This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy. With yours truly, Stephen A. Smith, coming at you as I love to do several times during the week. Um, we're here in my studio as always, thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the No Mercy podcast. I'm not going to take long because I want to make sure I give my guest today all the time that he needs. You know, you meet people and you get to know them and obviously personal relationships go a long way. You know a person, you get to know them well, they get to know you, and you not only come to respect them even more than you already have, but you grow to have a profound level of love for them because they're real, they're authentic, they're honest, and a lot of the experiences that they went through, you had no idea about. And you learn more and more of them, and because of what you've learned from them, your respect and adulation for them just elevates. That's how I feel about my next guest. He's a champion playing with the Boston Celtics, teammates of Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Rajon Rondo, and those guys. He's been a sensational analyst on ESPN, particularly over the past couple of years where his candor and his basketball knowledge is not to be questioned. But he's got a different story to tell you. And it's not just about winning championships. It's not just about competing in the world of sports. But it's about a lot that he went through to get to that place. Growing up in Beaumont, Texas. Raised by his grandparents. A mother murdered when she was five years old, when he was five years old. A father that left when he was two and never came back. And yet he's still here today doing big things and getting bigger and bigger every day. Not just in the world of sports but especially when you hear his story. He's got a new book out. It is called The Education of, and obviously I'm talking about my next guest. His name is Kendrick Perkins, my colleague, my friend, my brother. He's got a lot to say and a lot that you'll want to hear. So stick around, don't touch that dial. Kendrick Perkins up next on No Mercy with yours truly. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? My guest today is a 14-year veteran of the NBA, and in that time became known as a fierce defender and enforcing an integral part of the 2008 Boston Celtics championship team. He's now one of the most charismatic analysts on ESPN. And by the way, he's on first take all the time. 
He's my big little brother. I love this brother so much, man. So proud of him. I'm talking about the one and only Kendrick Perkins. Big boys in the house. What's up, my man? How you doing? How's everything? Hey, you know what? I need to log off and come back in so you can give me that <laughs> intro again. You know what? I like you far better on No Mercy than I do first take. Oh, this come on. Hey, Stop if lying. this is Stephen A, I'm going to get on No Mercy, then damn it, bring me on all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel you, my man. Listen, there's a lot of stuff that we could get into on about basketball, but with this podcast, man, I had to have you on to talk about this book, The Education of Kendrick Perkins. I, re- I mean, Listen, it was inspiring, never... To, to say the least, I, I want to know what sparked you, what inspired you to write this book at this particular moment in time. Well, first of all, let me give your flowers first on, you know, <clears throat> on your memoir, Stephen A. I, I thought it was great. I see NY's bestseller. I love what you're doing. Let me give you your flowers on that. Thank you, brother. Let me say this, you know, when writing a book is all about timing, right? And it's like, okay, when when am I gonna tell my story? When am I gonna let people know about my journey? And so I'm done playing basketball and people only know me from as far as in a basketball space as being this enforcer, a guy that never really spoke out in the media or never really said too much that just looked mean. And now all of a sudden I'm starting this diff, different chapter of my life where I'm on television and now people is like, I didn't even know Perk had a personality. So I'm like, it's a lot that you don't know about me. And so everybody kept saying like, hey, it's time for you to tell your story, man. It's very interesting for, to the people that know me, like you need to let the world know. And I'm like, ah, and you know what? I was like, damn it, you know what? Let's do it. Mm. You know, it's interesting, man, because you and I talk all the time and, 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 you know, even, th- even though you might look my age, you, you considerably younger, you considerably younger. Okay. <laughs> you know, and I'm just sitting up there. He mean, mug- you mean mugging on the set. And I'm like, that please, who you looking at? That's my boy. I said, I'm one of the few that don't need to be scared of him. He loves me. I love him back. But I, I, I we've talked so much over the last few years and it, with our friendship. I never knew. Um, that your mother was killed when you were five. I never knew that your father left when you were two years old to New Zealand and never came home. I, I mean, when I think about my story, and then I said, damn, I mean, his story is just as bad, if not worse. As you reflect on the life that you had to endure, particularly thinking about your parents, what do you walk away with, Kendrick Perkins, in terms of how you became who you are? You know what? That's who made. That's what made me, right? Like that's what made. Anytime I, I face adversity, I find a way through, and I find a way to get through. And that's my wife always say that she was like, "You only like I see you stressing like only for a short period of time." I'm like, because we got to find a way, no matter how big or how small it is, you got to find a way. So you have to realize is that my mom was shot and killed by her best friend. Like mm. in the duplex that she stayed in, her best friend stayed in the, the apartment right underneath her. And so at the age of five, I was up for adoption. And my mm. grandparents took me in. You know, my grandmother made 40 to $60 a week being a housekeeper. And my grandfather was the janitor at the church that pulled in $350. And so my grandparents did a hell of a job. I would never discredit them. They, they are my life outside of my wife and kids. But, you know, Stephen A., I cried myself to sleep so many nights because I didn't have that security, right? I always cried myself to sleep wondering, 
if my mom was here, how would I be protected? Or if my dad was here, how would life be with them being here because of the situation that I was in? And so now I got to the point where my wife was like, I never see you show emotions. Like you you could go to funerals and you and you never cry. And I, and I always tell her, I have no more tears to shed, you know, mm-hmm. because of what I've been through as a child and now I got to this point. But to answer your question, I go back to the original point. It's like when adversity hit, it taught me that, like, it's not about feeling sorry for yourself. It's about how you're going to figure things out and push through it and get through it. I wonder how did that, how helpful was that to you as you were growing up and you were considered, I mean, listen, you're McDonald's, you're all American in 2003, you know, you were going, you, you were, you were committed to Memphis, but then ultimately decided to go straight to the NBA in 2003. Mm-hmm. You often talk about the relationship you have with LeBron. It's because that same ilk that LeBron was in coming out of high school, you know what? You were a part of that as well as a big boy, as a defensive wizard, as an enforcer, et cetera, et cetera. Can you speak to what that upbringing and those struggles and how you ran out of tears to shed, how that hardened you and made you better prepared for the life of being a professional athlete? Well, you know, because it wasn't always like that. Like I I went to school and I was picked on because my grandparents didn't make that much money and they weren't able to provide. You have to realize by the time I got into the seventh grade, I was six, five. And so growing up in a country town in Beaumont, Texas, you know, we didn't have big malls. And and, and if we, we did, we had one mall and the mall didn't carry my size. So I had to wear <laughs> high water jeans and I had my church shoes was my my school shoes and school shoes was my hooping shoes. So I had to find a way. And I think it, it just put me it put me in the shell where I, I was alone a lot. Like I got picked on. I didn't have very many friends. Uh, you know, from elementary and in middle school. So you and were so six basketball. five and a big boy, and they were picking on you. They were picking on you, Kendrick I, Perkins. I mean, but I, I wasn't always thick. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I was, I was skinty at the time. So you know, you know, I think, I think, SA man, uh, just so much a long time, and 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 knowing the struggle of my grandparents, and once I saw that window. Once I saw that window and I started playing AAU basketball, and at the time, you know, we didn't have cell phones and all this. We had pages, but we didn't have internet or access to the internet. If you wanted to see something, you had to go, I had to go to the library to check rankings in the mock draft. And so what ended up happening was, was that what changed my life and what what made it, made me look at it differently or made me start even driving even more is when I went to ABCD camp. Okay, I made the transition from Nike and went with Sonny Vaccaro to ABCD camp and went to Adidas. Now mm-hmm. I go there and I'm not really known, but I'm 6'8 in the uh, 10th grade and it's LeBron James, the White House, Sebastian Telfair, you know, the one that they had in New Jersey. Yeah. And I leave out of that camp and I'm the number one player that left the camp. Like I made my mark. And for three months straight, I was the number one player in the country over LeBron James, the best three mm. months of my damn life. And so <laughs> right there, I go and I check the mock draft because, you know, at the ABCD camp, they have the stands in the back. And so the stands in the back, you have, you know, the scouts and the NBA scouts. And you, you're like, hold on, it's really real. All of a sudden, the letters start coming in. All of a sudden, my name is on the mock draft. All of a sudden, I'm looking at my high school games in – 
Beaumont, Texas, and I see Sam Presti from the Spurs. I see B.J. Armstrong from the Bulls. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what? This is the way that I'm going to get my grandmother and my grandfather out of this situation. So it, it took off from there, and there wasn't no looking back because my whole goal, I said, you know what? I got to get them a house. I got to make sure they set for life, and that's what kept me pushing. So that's the reason you went straight to the pros instead of going to the University of Memphis, correct? So I, I had no intentions on going to the University of Memphis. And what happened was, was that I was getting so many damn letters and so many visits from colleges that I wanted to go through my senior year and solely focus on basketball and putting everything into my, to my craft, into my body, so that I could prepare myself to get ready for the combine for the NBA draft. So what I did was, was that I committed and I signed with Memphis before my senior year. Now in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm already, you know, I'm going to the league. I'm going to these NBA workouts. But if I don't get a first round guarantee, if I don't get a first round guarantee, then I'm going to go back to, then I'm going to go to college for a year because the reason I committed and signed to Memphis was I, one, I wanted, you know, all that to stop. Two, John Calipari picked me up on a private jet, you know, from Beaumont, <laughs> Texas. My first time ever riding private. The Memphis and back, best college experience I had. But the thing that he told me was this, SA, I don't want you here for two years. I want you here for one year. And I promise you, they got you going early second round, late first round. I'm going to make you a lottery pick. But in my mind, I'm thinking, Cal, listen, if I get drafted, that's all the lottery I need. I didn't hit the lottery for me and my right. family. And so, you ended up being a 27th pick, right? 27th yeah. pick by the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, absolutely. So I mm. got a guarantee from the Celtics, right, with the 20th pick. But what ended up happening was they wanted Marcus Banks so bad and uh, Seattle was going to take them. And so basically they sw swapped picks with Memphis because mm. they wanted Memphis to take Marcus Banks, I believe, with the 13th pick, and they was going to just swap picks. So I only worked out for four teams, all the Texas teams and, and Boston. Mm. So now you look back and you reflect on it, and I imagine once you got uh, picked in the first round with Boston, you took care of your grandparents. That's what the first thing you did, right? That was the first thing that I'd done. I bought them a home. I bought them a home uh, for about three hundred and fifty thousand, and I bought them both a vehicle. That was the first thing I'd done. That was the first thing that I had on my mind. Mm -hmm. Let's fast forward to your career and winning a championship in Boston and seeing. And we'll get into a lot of NBA stuff, but I, I, I'm thinking about what you've endured and what you had to go through, and to have your grandparents there for you was a beautiful thing. Who was that person for you on the NBA level? that helped you elevate your mind to a point where you could have a 14-year career, that you could ultimately win a championship? Because you played with a lot of great players. You was coached by the great Doc Rivers, all right? Uh, you know, you was coached in, in, in OKC. You know, you had Scott there and all of this other stuff. But when you think about your NBA career, who was that person that influenced you most to be the man that you are? You know what's crazy is that... <clears throat> I went to an organization that had new ownership, uh, a new front office when I got drafted, and I had a great group of vets. I had Walter McCarty, Tony Delk, Tony Petit, uh, Eric Williams, right, that showed me the way and showed me how to be a professional. In Boston, yeah. In Boston, right? Yeah. And I also had 
Doc Rivers that came in my second year that gave me that speech in, the, in his office when he first had a conversation with me about being a star in my role and not trying to chase and be an all-star and, and was honest with me about who I was going to be as a player and gave me the option to accept what he was saying, and I did. But the person, if it's anybody that I have to give all the credit to and that I'm very, very close to to this day, is Danny Ainge. Mm -hmm. Danny Ainge not only gave me an opportunity to start my career, but he's the reason that I survived 14 years in the league. And it started from the time I arrived in Boston, from him, you know, being there with me, watching me walk in with all with these damn earrings and these chains and this new ice style watch. And he said, Perk, that's not being a man's man. You don't need that. Why are you spending money on that? To actually being so nosy that it was bothering me. Why was he in my personal life? But the whole time, his, his intentions was, I really love this young man. I love what he brings to the table. I love his work ethic. On top of that, he provided and made sure that everyone in the organization was going to be there to help me with whatever, from finding a townhome, townhouse to live in, to helping me with grocery shopping, because I didn't know things of having to go get toilet paper and, and, and damn paper towels, right? And so when I think about Danny, he was always brutally honest with me. And that's the thing that I respect the most. He would be going on his scout trips to, you know, overseas, and he would tell me, hey, Perk, you better stay on your best stuff because I'm going out and I'm trying to go find somebody that's better than you, right? But at the same time, he would also say, he would send me a text and say, I just watched the game, and I, I love the way that you anchored the defense and played the pick and roll today. So he showed that appreciation. And then, you know, I say this a lot on air when guys request request trades. You know, people always think that an organization got to send you to where you want to go or to another great situation. They know they how to do that. Owe, right. They don't owe you a damn thing. Guess what? Everybody in Boston and people could say, you know, Wick Grosbeck, the owner, was uh, with me in New York on Monday when I, when I did a little event out there. And he came and he took the mic and said the biggest mistake I made was trading Kendrick Perkins. But what they don't realize is, is that Danny Ainge traded me to a golden situation, right? He cared enough about me to get me to Oklahoma City that they had young talent. But Stephen A., before I even stepped foot on the damn floor, I signed a four-year, $36 million contract extension. You know what I'm saying? So, so Danny already knew that this thing was going to happen. And it wasn't a week that went by that I didn't have a phone conversation with Danny Ainge. And still to this day, it's not a week that goes by that Danny Ainge and I don't have a phone conversation. And I was just with uh, Ryan, the owner of the Utah Jazz and D-Wade down there in Salt yep. Lake City. And Ryan came up to me and he said, Perk, I hear so much about you all the damn time that it's finally good to meet you. And he said, you know what, out of all the players that Danny played with and had, you know, uh, was in the organization that he was, you know, far as in the front office, mm -hmm. all I keep hearing about is these damn perk stories. That guy really, really <laughs> loves you. So if I had to credit anyone, 
it was Danny Ainge. I think Danny Ainge is a hell of an executive. I think he's one of the elite executives this game has ever seen. Um, and I tell you something right now. I was fond of Brian Colangelo, but I don't mean to be insensitive, but he got hosed by Danny Ainge because when he got them to swap those picks and he ended up drafting Markel Fultz and Danny Ainge knew all along that he wanted Jason Tatum. So he ended up dropping down to three, getting the first round pick out of giving the number one pick to drop down to three and still got his guy, Jason Tatum. Could you imagine if Joel and Bean and Jason Tatum were teammates? Good no. Lord have mercy. Could you imagine? It would have been a title. It would have been a title. No question about it. No question about it. But let me tell you this, too, and as an aside, just a statement. You don't have to comment. If you choose to, that's fine. I like Wick Grousebeck. I like Boston. I truly do. I do not appreciate what happened with Ime Udoka. Only in this, I'm not getting into any details. The only detail that I would say about that as an aside is, my belief was that it was a HR matter. It should have never been a press conference. It should have never been talked about. The fact is, whatever Ime Udoka did, and you and I both know we hear a lot, and you know more than me, because you're still connected to the Boston Celtics organization. My only beef with the Boston Celtics is, it should have never been publicized. It should have never been talked about. This should have never been a press conference. Fire him or keep him. You're right. That's it. How do no. you, do you, do you feel I'm right about that? No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right because here's the thing, S.A., like these things go on all the time within organizations and That's companies, right. and we don't hear a damn thing about it. Exactly. And the thing that I love the most about Wick Grosspeck, Steve Pagluga, Dr. Cash, that, that are owners of the Boston Celtics is this. They don't mind criticism, and they don't mind saying that they should have done things differently, right? I just think at the moment – what ended up happening was it was so much pressure and so much rah-rah within the organization that they didn't know what to do. And, and I thought the whole matter could have been handled differently, right? And and so, you know, I look at it and I'm, I'm thinking, hey, man, you know, what you're saying right now is actual facts. And, and I think they wouldn't disagree with you, to be yeah. honest with you. Let me move on because in, in talking about this book, I want to shape a bigger conversation with you for the next few minutes because we're looking at today's NBA game. And you are obviously a preeminent voice. I'm incredibly proud of you and the work that you've been doing. And your star just continues to shine and elevate. You ain't going anywhere for a long time, my brother, and it's well-deserved. I want to know what level of concern you have about today's game, we see Kevin Durant. He's doing a press conference. Ain't nothing wrong with demanding the trade. We see Kyrie Irving saying the same thing. We see the issue of load management that many people have lamented is a big issue, whereas Adam Silver is saying, no, it's not that big of an issue. These are human beings, their body, their aches and pains, all of this other stuff. You are a champion and a 14-year veteran in the NBA. What do you feel about the state of today's game as it pertains to the level of passion and interest today's players had prior compared to what previous generations had? Well, <clears throat> it's two things that say it's disrespectful, man. It's, it's so disrespectful. It's disrespectful to Bill Russell. It's disrespectful to Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, Michael Jordan, Duncan, Michael Jordan. You know why? Because those guys paved the way for guys today to be getting paid 35 to 50 million dollars a year. And I'm talking about the superstars because that's yes. who I'm alluding to right this now. Is, absolutely. And so for, for guys to be talking about 
low management in their bodies and things to that nature. This is what you signed up for. You signed up for this. This is a dream and an opportunity. Do we realize, do people realize this? It is like, it's, and it probably be high, but about five years ago, it's, the ratio is one out of every 400,000 athletes make it in a professional sport. One out of every 400,000 athletes. So don't take this for granted that you have this opportunity to be in the NBA. Now, I look at certain situations like the firing of Nate McMillan uh, the other day with the with the Hawks. And I'm sitting up here saying to myself, I'm like, well, damn. Like, this is this is two African-American coaches that, that then got fired. And, and, and now all of a sudden you hear John Collins come out in the media. He's talking about, you know, should have been there more for, the, for us mentally and, 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 and been more open. It's like, okay, so, so now guys can't get held accountable in the right. locker room. You know what I mean? And, and when I look at it, man, some of these guys, man, they softer than funeral home music. Okay, when it comes down just to their mentality, not their physicality, their mental. And so I think right now what's happening is, is that the league, the guy, the players are doing a disservice to the next generation that's coming in up, that's coming up. Cause you know, like I know, when the CBA comes up, the owners are gonna be waiting at the front door. And they're going to have the Ben Simmons rule or the James Harden rule. And it's going to be short. Kyrie Irving. Yeah, all Let's that. Get him. Yeah. Yeah, Kyrie Irving. It's going to be a shortening of the contracts and the money. So why would, you know, like, why would you hurt the next generation when guys work so damn hard to make it where guys could get the opportunity that they're getting right now and getting paid? I tell you this, Kendrick uh-huh. Perkins. To me, Kendrick Perkins, the all-star game last weekend, is the worst thing that could have possibly happened to the players. You had Jalen Brown calling it a glorified layup line. You had Mike Malone, the coach of the Denver Nuggets, calling it the worst basketball we've ever seen. You saw guys out there not playing any defense. And here's my whole point, Kendrick Perkins. Sure, you're not going to go hard, but this ain't the NFL. You can understand why they're out there playing flag football because it's a physical sport. You can get hurt. Here's where the issue is. It's not to say that basketball isn't physical. But you don't have to go all out. You know what you could do, Kendrick Perkins? You could play harder than you play or just as hard as you play in the summertime when you're working out. You could just simply have a glorified workout. That's all. You could have played a little defense and stuff like that and be somewhat competitive. The fact that they went out there and put that product on the field. And you remember how hard I had you laughing when I went off about the slam dunk contest last year. Remember how hard when I went off on that atrocity. Okay, so now so now we got two things. We got we got a a white man evidently can jump because we got a white dude who was a G leaguer that is walking around as the slam dunk champion. And that was followed up by an all-star game with no effort whatsoever. And the ratings suffered because of it because they were lower this year. To me, the players might have put themselves in a pinch. To that, you say what? Well, well, one, let me give you your credit because I remember last year when I was on first take with you and you actually said, but okay, cool. These guys like Ja Morant, LeBron James, and Zion, they, okay, y'all don't want to do the dunk contest? Okay, well, give guys that are, you know, out there in the G League or on social media an opportunity to come in and do the yeah. dunk contest. And guess what? 
I think you was on. I think you was right. You hit the nail in the coffin with that one. To be honest with you, like give guys an opportunity who go actually embrace it and put on the show. So exactly. I, I, you was the first person that brought that to my attention, and I yeah. remember the conversation that we had. But people were so mad about the All Star game, but I wasn't. You know why? Because I expected it. Mm. I expected it. You and I just talked about low management. You and I talk about the physicality of the game and where it's at today. We also talk about how it's a lack of defense and a lack throughout the regular season. Think about this, Stephen A. I believe we got five or six guys right now averaging 30-plus. Like Donovan Mitchell went for 70. I think it's a record right now yep. for us guys having 40-point performances. So guys are not playing defense any damn way. So yeah. we've been watching lazy basketball all throughout the course of this the, the, since the start of the season. So when I went out there, I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. I knew it was going to happen. So I'm well, not even disappointed because I expected it. Was I wrong in blaming LeBron James for ruining the slam dunk contest because of all the stars that have graced this game? He's the one star that plays above the rim that refused to ever participate in the slam dunk contest. And since then, stars have followed suit. No, you was absolutely right. And I love LeBron, but you was absolutely right because I keep telling you, it's a, it's a, it's the two Ps that we live by. It's the popular, which a lot of people could do because of social media or be, they could be popular in the world today. Or is it powerful people? People that moves the damn needle. People like yourself that moves the damn needle. That's gonna come up that are powerful, that has big uh influence on everybody, right? That's LeBron James. Like, no matter how people want to say, oh, we're going to go out there and compete and talk, like, people in the league are still fans of LeBron James and they watch his every move. So when you're a powerful individual like that and you set the bar in so many ways in other areas on the floor and now all of a sudden you never participate in the dunk contest, you make that okay for everybody else to follow suit. So, no, you wasn't wrong. You know, in your book, Getting Back to It, The Education of Kendrick Perkins, you know, you talk about, you highlight the ongoing struggles for many black men in the United States of America, from slavery up to the present day, being from Beaumont, Texas. You talk about some of the experiences uh, that, that you've had. As a matter of fact, I'm reading from it one here, at one point here, you said, for 18 years, I saw this history etched into the faces of my grandparents, and I still see the effects of it around me each and every single day. Want to talk about what you meant when you brought that up in this in, in your book here? You brought that up. Why? What were you trying to say? Well, because I wanted to give people, uh, you know, insight on where I was from in the area that I grew up in. Right, I'm from Beaumont, but it's called the Golden Triangle, which makes up about seven cities. So you have Beaumont, Texas, Port Arthur, Needleland, Vider, Orange, and Lumberton and Jasper, and what people don't realize is that we're taught as a youngster, like I was taught as a youngster once I started driving, never drive, or if I'm driving on the highway and I'm passing through Vida, don't, I, don't, I, I never should stop to get gas. Or I never, I always should make sure that I'm doing below the speed limit because I don't want to get stopped by the police. Because Vida has a history uh, and they're 99% white American, right? Like, you know, five years ago, an African-American, a 16-year-old African-American uh, male was found on the railroad track, shot dead, and the case just went cold. 
And so you look at Jasper, Texas, and I think you I think you may be familiar. I know you're familiar with this, with James Bird Jr. Of right? Course. That happened when I was in school. And right. it had our town in the uproar. So when I think about that situation, I got to let people know that it still exists. And here I am right now, and I was on uh, I was talking with uh Bamani yesterday, and we because he's from Houston, and he said, Perk, I don't know how you even live in Montgomery near Montgomery County, right? Yeah. In the area that I stay in, right? And I'm looking like, you know, my kids going to school, and you know, it's only three black kids that are in the school, so I have to educate them. And also tell them, that, hey, man, like everybody from different races are not bad people. So when I get to diving into that, I dive into my experience in Boston. And when I talk about a culture change and how I had to how, how I had to adjust that people are not just like racist like that in mm -hmm. Boston, but they're just mean, like people yeah. are just about their business. So I had to make sure people understood that. It's not just about Boston, but deep down south, where I'm from in southeast Texas, it's way worse, way worse you know, things happening right now. I asked you that question, Kendrick Perkins, because I wanted to come full circle with this book and intertwine it with sports, because that's what you've done, essentially. Your life intertwined with the world of sports. And obviously, knowing you the way that I do, you're trying to educate folks, not just about who you are, where you came from, and what perspective you have, which is exactly what I was trying to do with my book, but you're also highlighting what we should guard against and what and and and, the, and you want people to be mindful of the struggle to to let them know that you know what the hell the struggle is and this is how you scratch and claw your way out of it and the reason why I bring that up is because with all those experiences and with the trials and tribulations that you've had to encounter and how you had to scratch and claw your way to this point what does it make you feel like as an analyst who happens to be black on the airwaves when any time that you 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 just dropping science and being critical in your own way. Your blackness is brought into question because you and I have talked about that as well. You, you know what? I don't give a damn. And I, 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 I and I got that from you. I don't give a damn because I know who I am. And like I said, I thank you for raising me, like being that big brother to me because you have been that and more. But you know what's crazy, Stephen A, is that I walk around and I be going through airports and things to that nature. And the first thing people always come up to me and say is that, boy, I love it when you and Stephen A come, uh, <laughs> you know, go at it on first take, man. Y'all good together, man, Stephen A. And then, you know, the very next questions to the, you know, the quote unquote real ones out there, the, the, you know, the ones yeah. that that's so real, you know, they keep it so 100 that they come up to me and ask, you know, the next thing they ask me. Hey, man, like, real talk, man, like, how is Stephen A as a person? And I said, hell, he's one of us. Cool, cool as hell. That's who Stephen A is, a real, you know, real MF. That's what I tell him straight up. Right. But it's crazy because it's like, okay, we can't go on television and do our damn job without our blackness being, like, right is right, wrong is wrong. Like, we don't have to go on here and just say, oh, you know what? I don't have to go on here and just say, oh, man, I'm going to just stay on this because that's what the that's what the hood want me to do. You know what I'm saying? That's what a that's what a guy that's probably, you know, that's that's st still staying at his mama crib that's waking up just blowing loud every day that probably don't even have a damn job. Oh, he just want me to keep it real for his sake. Exactly. Like, man, get the hell out of here. I don't give a damn. And I'm going to tell you this, S.A., in my book, I talk about this, right? Because the mental toughness and, and mental health is so crucial 
in the African-American community. I share my story about how I went to anger management when I got into some trouble when I was with the Oklahoma City Thunder and I had a warrant out for my arrest. Mm -hmm. And I shared that because I spent a month and a half, almost two months going to classes between eight and five with these high-powered doctors down there in Lawrence, Kansas, which I didn't want to do. But I went down there because the organization requested that I did or I was going to get suspended a, a, a significant mm-hmm. amount of games. But right. anyway, I share that story because I wanted to let the African-American community know that it's okay to get help. It's okay to seek counseling. It's okay to protect your mental because you know like I know. Growing up, if you was to tell your peers or anybody close to you that you was going to sit down and talk with a counselor because you had too much on your heart or your you mind weak. or whatever, you, weak. you would get yeah. laughed at. Or you get, get, you get laughed at. Absolutely. Yeah. So I had to let them know that it's okay to do that. Real like, quick. I did Real quick, educate the viewers and listeners. Why did you have to go to anger management? What was that incident about when you were in OKC? So, so I was, I was, it was during my class reunion, and and you know, I'm I'm feeling myself. You know, it's my 10-year class reunion. Damn it, I'm out and about at the club in Houston. And, you know, a guy came up to me and said, you know, hey man, you know what I'm saying? You need to move your car, have your driver move his car. I'm like, man, say, man, who you talking to? Like, we about to move, and he was like, you know, I already don't help with you anyway. Now, this is just a guy that just don't don't know me from a can of paint, but just watched me play basketball and mad at me about some reason. So me mm-hmm. being having the attitude that I had, I'm like, well, what you saying? Next thing you know, we, you know, we 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 get it on. And I actually, you know, I I I actually end up getting into a fight so hard that I knocked him out, and I didn't know that he went and pressed charges. And so mm. I went to Turkey uh, to training camp in Turkey with the uh, <clears throat> with the uh, with the Thunder. And when I came back, we landed, and and Flash was telling me before we landed, he came to me and said, "Hey man, listen, don't get off the plane yet. We need to figure some things out. You got a warrant for your arrest." And I was like, "A warrant for my arrest? Like, I, what the hell? I ain't done." And all of a sudden, I, I we dive into the details, and he had went and pressed charges on me for getting in a fight outside the club. And so, you know, Sam Preston, he, you know, great dude, by the way, but yeah. grew up in the Spurs organization. We don't deal with that type of stuff. So it got out to the media and things to that nature, but that was the incident that transpired. Gotcha. Yeah, Sam Presley is a he's a good man. He just needs to win a championship with all them damn great players he keeps drafting. <laughs> but that's just me. But but before I let you get on out of here, I want to close by asking this question with everything. First of all, two things. Number one, right now on the spot, who you got going to the finals out of the East and West? You know what? I'm gonna roll with the Denver Nuggets out of the West, right? Because of their death. Yep. And that we seen what they could do. And out of the East. I got to roll with the Boston Celtics. And here's why. And, and this is a slight, slight edge over Giannis mm-hmm. in the books. Mm-hmm. But anytime, Stephen A., that you have a fourth or fifth option guy that you have on your team offensively, mm-hmm. when Eastern Conference Player of the Week yeah. in a conference with Giannis and Joel Embiid, and I'm talking about Derek White, anytime yeah. you have something like that happen, that means you got great depth and you got all the pieces you need. Like Derek White won Eastern Conference Player of the Week. That speaks volumes of the depth of the Boston Celtics. Uh, 
Joe Mazzulla deserved the contract. It's, uh, you know, he deserved the contract. He's no longer in the interim. He's the head coach. He's taken advantage of the opportunity created by Ime Udoka's mess up. He's done a damn good job. Me personally, I want to see him produce in the playoffs before that happened, but I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him. I just want to see him produce in the playoffs because Ime Udoka took him to the finals. Well, you win in the first half of the season. That don't mean that you're going to do it come playoff time. That's just me. And That's I know me. you agree with me, but I got Boston. Going to the finals against Phoenix. I think Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are going to be something special. And I got to confess, I'd probably rather be in Phoenix than Denver. That might have something to do with my influence. But <laughs> that might be it. But listen, man, before I let you get on out of here, man, last words. Your book, the overall message that you want people to walk away with, the education of Kendrick Perkins, the overall message that you want people to walk away with is what? You know what the the overall message is is that I want you to get from my book not only the knowledge of my journey of what I've been through but how I got through it and how I'm still standing today, right? So when adversity hit, don't feel sorry for yourself. Figure out a way to figure it out. Like so many people, when adversity hit, it, it stops them right in their path and they put their whole life on hold instead of saying, you know what, let me just figure out a way because it's going to come again. Let me see how I could overcome this obstacle. That's what I want people to get from my book and hopefully it could inspire and 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 help some of these, these people out here in the world that are facing these certain situations, whether, you know, it's... It's in the community, whether it's getting a job, whether it's making it out of poverty, whatever it may be. I want them to, you know, have that message that figure it out, like find a way to figure it out when you hit that verse. My man, I'm so proud of you. The education of Kendrick Perkins, his memoir, the story about his life, former champion with the Boston Celtics, NBA analyst extraordinaire for ESPN. And by the way, the best thing that I can say is this. Listen, I've accomplished a lot of things in my life. No doubt about it. But the ride ends at some point for all of us. And if it ever ends for me, first take, NBA countdown, anything like that, this brother right here will probably be sitting in the chair. And guess what? I'm not going to have a single damn problem with it because you will have earned it and it will have been well-deserved, my brother. I love you and I'm proud of you, man. Thank you for Stephen, being on the show. Stephen, I love you, man. And I appreciate you so much, not only for having me on here like, you know, to discuss my book and even be letting me be a, be a part of your platform, but for embracing me, man, from open arms, with open arms from day one and giving me a chance and understanding me and, and also guiding me in the right direction because I, I'm going to just say this, like, you don't know what you meant to me by stepping in and, and playing that big brother role and mentoring me, not only just in the media space, but we become close friends because... What people don't realize is this, and I say this all the time. If you're not a Hall of Famer when you retire or a franchise guy, you don't have a red carpet rolled out for you. I'm not Tom Brady where I have $400 million sitting on the table waiting for me to just pick it up. Like I had to actually work and grind, and you taught me so much, man. You answered my calls. You always been available. You always you always gave me the correct knowledge and the correct game, whether I wanted to hear it or not. I needed to hear it. And I want to say, man, I appreciate you for that. I applaud you for all your accomplishments. I applaud you for everything that you do. And I love you. And I love you from the bottom of my heart. And I want to tell you this. You was the only person, right, that when we went to the game and, and, and uh, with the Houston Rockets that I allowed ever in life 
for my wife to sit up here and say, let me take a, hey, can you please get me a picture with Stephen A? <laughs> That's right. I'm privileged. That's right. That's right. I appreciate you, bro. I'll see you soon, my man. I love you, bro. Way to go with this book, man. Congratulations Same on this book. You. Seriously, man. Same All the best. All right, man. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Please know that I meant what I said, but I meant it with no arrogance, no bloviating, acting like I'm bigger than what I am. I'm simply recognizing the fact that I sit in the chair that I sit in, not just here on No Mercy, but on First Take, which has been number one for 11 years. And, you know, there's a lot of good things that are going on in my life that I've been very, very blessed to achieve. And when you're 55 and, you know, you work with people who were professional athletes, they're a little younger than you. You're like the senior citizen of the crew, even though I'm not that old and I damn sure don't look it, if I should say so myself. But the reality is, is that I've been in this business for 30 years. And at some point in time, all good things must come to an end. I'm not going to be doing this forever, whether it's my podcast, whether it's first take, whether it's working on ESPN or whatever the case may be. I'm honored to be there. I want to be there for many, many years to come. I love my colleagues. I love my bosses. I love the, the institution that I work for that is ESPN and Walt Disney. They've been very, very good to me. Um, but nothing lasts forever. And I think that on a far too many occasions, we always think about what we have, but we don't think about who you pass that baton to. We don't think about looking down the road and saying when you walk away from something, you know, what it would mean to you for people that you've helped along the way to achieve big things. And that's how I think about Kenji Perkins. You know, when he first got into this business, he would pick up the phone and he would call me for advice and he would ask for my counsel. When he got himself in trouble because he'd say something that he didn't need to say or whatever the case may be, or he didn't feel like he was wrong about anything that he said because he was getting into it with somebody or whatever, he'd reach out for my advice. And I was proud to give it to him. I don't know the answers to everything. I don't know everything, period. But I will tell you, and I ain't the most sentimental dude in the world. That's just not my style, okay? But I do have a lot of love in my heart. And especially for my colleagues. When I think about Molly Kiram, when I think about Ryan Clark, when I think about Swagoo, Marcus Spears, Keyshawn Johnson, Dan Orlovsky, you know, Bart Scott, Michael Irvin, Kimberly Martin, Mina Kimes, Monica McNutt, uh, Shanae Ogumake, and, you know, all of these other folks, Jalen Rose, Will Bond, yes, Malika Andrews, too, you know, contrary to what y'all want to believe and stuff like that, her, too. All of them, you know, Tim Legler, who I've known for 30 years, man, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. You know, sometimes I sit back and I'm a blessed brother to have the life that I have, to have the career that I have. But I will tell you, I brought up all of those names that are contributors to first take for a reason. I'm having the time of my life. I've never been happier. And that's saying a lot. Max and I may have had differences of opinions. He's not a bad guy, Max Kellum. He's not a bad guy. 
you know, I respect the hell out of him and I genuinely like him as a human being. Skip Bayless, I don't care what y'all think about him. He will always be my brother, always. But I have never had more fun in my career than I've had working on First Take. And it's because of all the people that I mentioned. And none are more significant than Kendrick Perkins. I mean, to be on the air and to volley back and forth and to know that we have differences of opinion and we go at it, yet we smiling and laughing and calling each other, you know, when the show is over and we hanging out together when we in the same city and, and, and we always there when we need each other. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what it's all about. We want to be successful. We want to make money. We want to have our cachet validated. We want all of those things. But in the end, you know what you want most. You want to know that you with people that genuinely have love for you and that you have love for. Because the respect and the adulation is shared. The only reason they call me big bro is because I've been in the business longer than them and I've been doing it for longer and I'm older. But they all know I got their backs. And they have mine. And I can't say that for anybody more than Kendrick Perkins. I love this brother. And I think he's going to do big things. He's going to continue to do big things for ESPN and beyond for years and years and years to come. His story is incredibly fascinating. The Education of Kendrick Perkins is the title of the book. Make sure you go get it. Make sure you read it. You'll learn about this brother, a lot about this brother. Like he said before, you see that mean mug on his face. You don't see emotions. You don't see him crying. Why? Because he's cried enough in his lifetime. He doesn't have any more tears to shed. And maybe that's a good thing. Now he'll smile a lot more than he cries. And that's a beautiful thing for us all because he's got that big papa, that that Uncle Perk smile. You know, the uncle that you see at the barbecue and stuff like that. He's got all of that going for him. Just proud of him. Just happy for him. I wish him nothing but the best. Looking forward to working for him with him for many, many years in the future. But I meant what I said. If I ever have to pass the baton and that day will come, I'd be proud to have to pass it to him. Not that he needs it because he's already doing big things. I usually say you don't have to know sports to know mercy. And that certainly applies when you hear about the education of Kendrick Perkins. But that brother does know sports. And if you knew what he knew, you know he know mercy. He knows mercy as well. Because there's a lot more that he could say a lot of times. I'm about to sign off. Until next time, y'all. Peace and love, everybody. Later. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.